Hello, welcome back to the Transfer Portal CFB podcast, presented by No Context CFB. It's just two of us today. It's the guys from that Sunbelt preview that warned you that the Sunbelt was the best dang conference in all the land. And yeah, the Sunbelt's still going strong. We know that. But there's so much more going on in this college football world. It's week six. The season has flown by much like Ohio State's heavy passing attack. It's going so quick. I don't know why. Uh, We're having a lot of fun, though. We can't wait to, you know, kind of break down, share our thoughts on this week six. And yeah, happy to have you with me today, Dan. And, you know, any, any words from you? Uh, no, happy to be here. Happy to talk about a week. It was kind of a maybe a slower week in football. It felt like when you're watching like a like a season of television, and there's the first arc, and then there's that episode where they just kind of move the pieces around, and they're they're setting up the big storyline, the big action scene in the next episode. So this yeah. was the move the pieces together kind of uh, week. Yeah. These next two weeks are going to be massive, and you're definitely right because we had Wednesday and Friday games before we got into the Saturday slate, and like it was all just it just felt like clunky. It didn't feel great, those games. And then we finally got into Saturday, and it's still – it was good, but it wasn't the level of, you know, great slates that we've seen in weeks past, which is fine. It's not going to have that consistency week to week. But it all led up to the big finish, one of the best finishes that we'll see all season, one of the best in recent memory, in my opinion. And, yeah, we'll break that game down, but please – if you're on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Comment below your thoughts on Week 6 on Spotify or Apple. Please follow us. Leave a leave a rating that you think we're worthy of. And let's just get into Oregon State-Stanford. A little Pac-12 after dark action, finally. You're going to have to tell me about it. This East Coast boy was uh, was asleep. That's That's an issue with you and so many other people that saw this game on the slate and said, my sleep is important. I get it. <laughs> but this game was unbelievable. And yeah, it wasn't very good for, let's say, the vast majority of it. It didn't really get good till the fourth quarter, which is fine because Mark Jones and RG3 have truly created one of the most entertaining commentating duos in sports like there's never a dull moment with them we've seen them on late night games before even afternoon games they've just been electric so this entire game i'm not kidding you the entire timeline was just having fun with rg3 and mark jones all night the commentary was incredible they're making fun of fans or uh, you know it was just rg3 is just so weird i don't know he's so weird in the best lane like people have been saying for a while college football needs a bill walton yeah it's RG3. It's wild to say RG3 is the Bill Walton of college football. Just, I don't like they're doing a little hockey promo because NHL starting up opening nights on ESPN Tuesday. Then they show a fan who's got long hair, and RG3 is like, oh, yeah, that, that looks like a hockey fan. He does, he does these like weird voices with it. It makes no sense. He's just, he's just a comedic genius for some reason. He's, he's really good. A lot of stuff he was doing with the Stanford band. There were some good clips from that. And I don't know, just what there are fans definitely in taking some alcohol in a water bottle and the commentary over that in which Mark (laughs) Jones uh, was like something about what's in that drink. Like that was good content too. It was just good stuff. And then, yeah, about the game. Sorry. That, that was what, 
we cared about the vast majority. We got into the fourth quarter where Oregon State's down 24 10. They look lost. Stanford has dominated this game in very mm-hmm. ugly fashion. Kyle Blue Kelly isn't even playing for Stanford, which ends up showing the you know why that's so important late. But you know, Oregon State excites with Silas Bolden's touchdown. They end up going for two down eight, and it wasn't because of the analytics. Their long snapper got injured in this game. So really? that's, yes, that's why Oregon State went for two. And then 545 remaining or something, Damian Martinez rips off a 43-yard run to the cribbo. They go for two again, and they fail again, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. They failed again. So now it, it, you've got this 24-22 game, and it looks like Stanford salting the game away. Nope. Nope. They bring in, I forget his name, they bring up their backup QB who's like been running a little. And, and Oregon State knows runs coming on third and short, and he loses like three yards. And hmm. they, they end up kicking the field goal. Now it's 27-22, but a minute left. Oregon State's been able to dink and dunk their way downfield a good bit. They, you know, they're they're making decent progress, but it's still looking like they're gonna have to go heave a Hail Mary at some point. And they've got their backup quarterback in because obviously Chance Nolan didn't play in this game. What happens next is just it, it's just shocking. You have Mark Jones and RG3 both like, you know, analyzing the situation, thinking through like, all right, where do they need to get for Ben Goldbranson to be in, in in range for a Hail Mary or a deep throw or something. Like, they're analyzing that. They're thinking, like, Stanford's not going to let anything get behind them. Like, prevent defenses in this point have been a thing that's happened in college football so much. It's come to fight teams in the past. What had happened was just, it was a jaw-dropping moment that I said, what I said after this happened was, 24 hours ago, we were all speechless. Because the Nevada Colorado State game, <laughs> we were speechless 24 hours later, like almost exactly on the dot. Trayshawn Harrison makes one of the most absurd caches you'll ever see. He's basically, it, it's it's a bit similar to start Evan to the catch Evan Stort made with a minute left in the Alabama Texas A&M game, where mm-hmm. the receiver Trayshawn Harrison is sandwiched between two Stanford DBs. And he ends up climbing the elevator on the corner. He just like climbs on top of him, elevates over him, and, and just picks the ball off his shoulder. And, and the and the DB is just like befuddled. He's lost. He he can't believe what's happened. He doesn't think that this man has caught the ball, has stayed up. Trayshawn's off to the races. The DB that was coming over there for help that never got to make that sandwich of a hit. He's just looking at him. He pulled up like he didn't want to make a hit like you, there was potential for targeting or something. So he just pulls up. He's just watching Trayshawn. He just watch him. And Trayshawn's just running downfield. And he's just running for his 53-yard touchdown. That was one of the most absurd things. Like, it, it was so unexpected. It was just – it's what makes those late-night Pac-12 after dark games. And we haven't had a moment like that in a while, it's felt like. It was – you know, I was thinking of ha- what to say about this. And when you have a Hail Mary like we had with Holy Cross and App State, like you're still you're expecting that slim possibility of a touchdown happening. It's still utter shock and awe. Like you can't believe that happened. When, when 
Oregon State's backup quarterback, Bengal Branson, is throwing this awful pass to the sideline, which Oregon State's Twitter account decided to say an absolute dime. No, this was not a very good pass. This was all Treshawn Harrison, one of the most remarkable plays of the season. When that pass is being made, there's not one ounce of fiber in your body that ever thinks, oh, this is a touchdown. Like, this could be a touchdown. And that's just why this is so shocking to me, is it it was just one of the most improbable game winners that we've, like, a lot of people were comparing it to Crabtree against Texas. And, like, they're not wrong. Like, it was that level of insanity, it felt like. And, And all the... Oh my gosh, the Stanford fans that were actually awake at the stadium to watch this were just beside them, just in mm. shock. Like, it, this is another thing. The games, these late night games with RG3 and Mark Jones, the crowd shots that they're getting, it, it's the best <laughs> in college football. And they're consistently getting the best shots. And it's like, it's like ESPN producers know, like, we got RG3 and Mark on the call. This is what we got to do at least seven fans shown throughout the night that were asleep while there was a kid or an adult. So the fans that were actually (laughs) awake to see this Stanford fans. Oh my, it it was just unreal. Then I'm thinking like, there's no way that that's the play that could get David Shaw fired. Right. I don't, I don't think they fire Shaw. I think he, the, you know, that school and the early signing period was a really bad combination. They're, they're letting him work out of that. I think, Mm -hmm might get the DC there fired. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but that defense has really cratered under his watch uh, in the last couple of years. But um, the play it reminded me of was the, the Minnesota miracle, Stefan yes. Diggs in the playoffs and the way the, the help comes over and then just kind of pulls up and uh, number 24 for Stanford, like could have shoved him out of bounds and he just didn't. And then it's off to the races mm-hmm. and that, you know, and that's all she wrote. So uh really kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good comp as well. Another one that we've seen, which is probably a lot more comparable than the Crabtree one, but just on college football terms, yeah, it'd be Crabtree that comes to mind. But yeah, the Crabtree was what came to mind when I saw the play, like instantly. But then when I saw twenty four, mm-hmm. the safety help come over and just kind of whiff on it, that made me think of the Diggs play. But yeah, yeah I mean, th- this year has been tough, but Stanford they're trying some interesting things on offense with the with the slow mesh and you know stealing that from wait, well not stealing, you know innovating. Yeah. Offense. You know, uh, what Wake Forest does. And, um, but I, I think, I mean, Shaw's been there so long. He's an institution. He gets a chance to, to make a DC hire and, and turn it around. Yeah. Like, I really do. I really like David Shaw. It's just like, it, it's bittersweet. Like, his time could be up and that, that stinks. Like, just watching as a, a fan of Pac 12 school, even though they've destroyed us, it's still going to hurt when he eventually goes on and moves on from Stanford. What he's been able to help build there is truly tremendous. Yeah. Just some of the teams and athletes that he's producing, the high level of kids that they've got over there. Like, I don't ever want to see David Shaw go. Yeah, I, I'm very afraid for the day that it, it – for the day that it could happen. I just don't want to see it happen. Mm-hmm. But I, it'd it, it's – yeah, it'd be really weird. Tavita Pritchard, though, their OC, who's obviously a former ball player there, we all know – He's been doing good things at OC. Like you said, he's been innovative. He's been drying up a lot of cool stuff. It's not all just that Stanford jump ball offense in the red zone. Like, no, they don't really do that anymore. 
No, they did though. Bryson Tremaine made a heck of a grab on a touchdown on one uh last night. But yeah, they're they're kind of shying away from that a good bit. And they had like four tight ends. Yeah. And like, that stuff. They it's been a couple of years since they've really been that kind of team. So yeah, and they have a star tight end, Benjamin Eurosek. It's like he just doesn't even get the volume that he deserves. So it's kind of interesting when Stanford has been this TEU kind of program. But right. and what I was gonna say one last thought, it would have been uh, you were talking about, you know, playing, running the ball with the lead, and they were not were unable to do that and keep the clock. And uh, that's a scenario where having your your top back, uh, you know, a stud like EJ Smith would have really, really helped in a scenario like that. So definitely would have. Yeah. And uh, we'll move on to. And that's a lot of Stanford talk at the time. That that was a lot of Stanford <laughs> talk. Shout out to Oregon State for that one, though. Jonathan yeah, Smith, heck of an AC. Yeah. Uh, wild game good for them that they were able to win that game without chance Nolan, without luke musgrave at tight end still who's a star future nfl guy that's been hurt for a few weeks but a lot of stars in this one texas a and m alabama dan this was a humdinger this was a good game uh it was a weird game uh but it was close to the end uh i mean i i honestly i was in the camp that thought a&m was gonna get blown out I really did. So yeah. uh, I people are, say Jim was going to fire. Jim was going to fire. They're talking about the buyout. He's getting, he's getting 2023. It's, it's too much money. And there's proof of concept like this team isn't as good as they can be and potentially will be uh, maybe when, uh, you know, Wegman takes the controls next year. Um, uh, and yeah, I don't know. Like A&M is going in the right direction. They've lost a few tough ones. But the fact that a that they could play their B game and still hang with Alabama tells me that this is working. He's not getting fired. Yeah, I don't think he's getting fired too. I think the memes are really fun about yeah. it. I also still think he's an absolute coward for saying, what did you do to beat Alabama? And he said, go vegan. And he never went vegan. I thought that was really lame. They didn't you know, hold true to his <laughs> word on that last year. And maybe that's why you didn't uh, – win this game at the end because you didn't honor your promise of going vegan but that was his his faustian bargain was he would give up meat if he could beat alabama yeah he said he would go vegan if he could beat alabama and then they beat <laughs> bama they never went vegan so hey like i don't huh. know but i like the AM offense is still just it, it, that yeah. scheme is just so terrible it just holds them back and it's tough to see when chris marshall had a really good game that's another true freshman receiver who is extremely raw basketball player is finally like fully committed to football now he's gonna have a bright future moose muhammad that's mushin muhammad's kid that's making big plays he had a touchdown grab and then evan stork just looks like he looks like you know he he was obviously one of the top receivers in in their recruiting class and everything but as a guy that isn't big into recruiting or anything like i, I don't really know what to expect he's got round one ran all over him by the time he said round one like, top yeah. top ten yeah, like this yeah. kid is oh, yeah. unbelievable. Some of the catches that he was making in this game, it's truly remarkable. I'll be happy to highlight more about what he did later and just kind of focus on this game and how it ended now. But it, it, it's that final play of the game for Texas A&M, which, yes, credit to Alabama and Nick Saban for diving into how they defend this final play. I thought that was really that was cool. That was super cool, insightful stuff. Please check that out if you haven't already. I um, but the yeah, I the the I, play here from Texas A and M is terrible. I it was a terrible play call that they is it, it never it never made sense to me. It was truly like yeah, we're throwing the ball to Evan Stort here, but 
like okay i get that but it was just a it was a short out route and he never like i don't know man it was just never at any signs that this was gonna be open this was a low percentage throw that was being yeah. made from the jump there were a whole lot what i was hoping to see with with the what i was hoping to see you know the old wide receiver screen and then you just pitch it I was hoping to see an innovative version of this, which we haven't seen yet, where you have your outside receiver is in like, you know, trips wide or whatever, and he's running down in motion and you're snapping it and you're giving him a tunnel screen with the blocking, but you're going to use Devin Achain on a, on like a swing and a wheel so that <laughs> when that receiver is catching the ball, just have it be Evan Store. He's catching the ball and you're just lateraling it to Achen, who's going to be able to run up with those blockers up the sideline, hopefully get in. That's what I would have done. I know that that's the more fun way of looking at this instead of the, like, simple way that Jimbo and A&M did, but this play called stunk, right? <laughs> I I think you have to have A-Chain in the pattern in some way. Um, For me, like, play calling gripes, like, Jimbo knows more in his pinky than I'll ever, ever know about football. He forgets more in a week than I'll ever know about X's and O's. And I, you know, I don't mind griping out about um, like big picture play calling, you know, whether to, to go for it more and for down or things like that. Um, because those things are, are bigger picture and those are their strategy. You know, they're not tactics. I don't know tactics. I don't know what they were doing in practice. You know, I don't know what throws King favors or, um, you know, what they've been working on in the offseason, what they're installed, what, like, you know, defensive alignments they were looking yeah. at and trying to create all game. I don't know those things, but all that said, that was a baffling play call. And I think the most baffling part is it wasn't even to the goal line. Even if it had been completed past, the game would have been over and they would have lost. It would have been short. Um, I, I just I can't imagine there isn't anything better in that giant play call sheet. He walks around over there. Yeah, um, I don't like. Yeah. Uh, you know, jump pass even comes to mind as something that would have been better. Just maybe it's a little play action to odd chain and then your tight ends leaking out over the, you know, middle top of the ends and whatever, and you're able to hit him. There's just a thousand different, there's probably 10,972 better plays than what they ran. Uh, For Johnny Manziel's insight, here's what he said. One of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. You have one play to beat the number one team in the country, and that's what we run. Every single practice, you have a goal line period and practice these type of situations. That's a joke of the ending. That's a joke of an ending for the Aggies. Hmm. Yeah. He ain't wrong. Yes, it was tough. Yeah, and, and you're in this spot where Texas A&M should be able to beat Alabama again. They were yeah. like – Reichard misses two field goals. Like that's that's an issue for Alabama because this is not the first time that he's like had the kicking yips. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not worried too much about Alabama. That's probably the best defense they'll play uh until Atlanta in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, people were taking away, oh, Alabama's not that good or, or things like that. But I think the I think they'll still be fine. Their wide receivers still aren't great and Milrow you know, isn't ready to shoulder the turn. That is not a pun. Uh, get well soon, Bryce. But uh, Milro is not ready to to take the load full-time just yet. But 
Like I think, Jay, I think they're still going to walk into to Atlanta for the SEC West. Yeah, Jalen Melrose is super, super talented. He has a long way to go as a passer. I like he yeah. can run the ball at a very high level. He has helped. He has helped Jameer Gibbs. True, the threat of oh, Melrose yeah. running has activated Gibbs so much, and Gibbs is showing that he could glide all over anyone. Kid is a monster. I'm so happy for Gibbs, but. And which game did Alabama's offense look the best in all season? The Utah State game where Bryce was creating plays with his legs, too. Utah State's defense is very tough as well. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, like, I have no doubts that Alabama is going to walk through and walk yeah. to the conversation. Like, that's going to happen. But, you know, it, it's just that Texas win – they lose that game if Quinn Ewers never gets hurt. And then, yes, they didn't have Bryce Young in this game, so it's another game against Texas opponent with a key quarterback out, of course. And you you win it, but it just wasn't – like, I don't know what the word is. It just wasn't moving. Mm-hmm. It was just like – it was a good football game and it was, like, fun and everything, but it wasn't like – a great display of football from Alabama and Texas A&M. Like we sure, I feel them. like both teams played like a like a B minus game. If that it was like yeah, like C C plus B minus somewhere in that yeah. realm. It just the, these issues with Alabama keep happening. Their special teams keeps failing, and then mm-hmm. their receiver room just still can't figure it out. And I still think it's in look Jalen Milrow again isn't the best thrower of the football at this point in his career. But their receiver room still does not make any sense to me with the guys that they're playing. Like, Ja'Cory Brooks makes a touchdown grab in this game, a critical one. Good. I like Brooks. I really do. But your leading receiver, Shermaine Byrne in this game, has got 48 receiving yards. Hmm. That ain't it, man. They they have what? They had 12 completions in the game. Miller was 12-19. Okay, but Kobe Prentice was so good against Arkansas. We saw, we saw a flash in that freshman's feature. He's got two catches for one yard in this game. Hmm. Where was Isaiah Bond, who also looked really good in the Arkansas game? He had nothing in this game. I like Isaiah Bond. I like their young weapons. Shaz Preston, I'm just waiting for this kid to get his shot. And I know if Aaron Anderson didn't get hurt, uh, he's been in a boot. Maybe he's out of it now. I know if he doesn't get hurt in the summer, he's in this receiving room and thriving as a true freshman. I know that for a fact, but... Alabama's got to start just throw away the politics of the the uh, seniority in your locker room and this receiver group and play the guys that are the best. That are the best guys to give you a shot. These young guys are the best players on 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 their receiving chart, in my opinion. Yeah, that lost rotation. I don't remember again. I'm not a recruitnik, but of um, Ajay Hall and Bill Ingsley, those two guys kind of you like. It's like you miss a cycle right there. Like those guys yeah. should be. Um, kind of stepping into that role. Yeah, which Ja'Cory Brooks is, I believe, from the same classes. I think he is from the same class. All that. And he's had his moments. He's had a lot of bad moments. And then, like, Jalen Milrow fumbles the ball twice in this game, too, when it's just, like, two missed field goals, the two fumbles lost. J- Jace McClellan lost the fumble, too. Like, mm. there's five things that the Aggies need to take advantage of. They lose by four, final play of the game, whatever, awful call. It's just like yeah. I come away from this game thinking, much like the Texas game, Alabama shouldn't lo- should have lost. 
and I I mean I moved them down in my poll because of it. I I just put them from one to two, put Ohio State to one. I thought that was fair. Yeah. AP voters might not agree with me, but hmm. well, what am I supposed to do about that? I. <laughs> Um, there's no more there's no more victories for AM at this point. But like, you know, I saw some meltdown from AM fans. It's like I I I take a you know the good things from that game. That last that last play is infuriating for sure, but you did not play your best game and you hung with Alabama on the road. The the classes are there, the roster is there. Uh, it just needs a little seasoning. 2023. You gotta be looking at 2023. That's the year. Yeah, it's just been a bizarre season for <laughs> yeah. You lose that state. You beat that garbage Miami team. You win the close game against Arkansas. I was going through it. Dominated by Mississippi State. And now should have beat Alabama again. Now what's going to happen after their bye week and they're at South Carolina? Yeah. I get I get why it sucks in the moment. But overall, I would try to feel good about, about yeah. the future from that game. Yeah. Just so many ups and downs for them. And the eight people thing for me is what I was saying – because they did move Alabama down. I'm saying they disagree because I put Ohio State to one. They put Georgia one. I don't hmm. get that. That I don't get at all. But who cares about Georgia? Because Colorado State and Nevada played what was going to be the game <laughs> of the week until some of the stuff on Saturday happened. This is the sickos game of the year. I uh you gave me some guff in the offseason because I made a little chart as a piece in the offseason where I ranked all the best games of each week. And I said Colorado State Nevada is going to be one of the best games of Week Six because of the revenge, because of the futility, because of how sick it is going to be. And uh, yeah, I mean, on paper it's awful, but on paper it was beautifully awful. This is the exact. Um, I, I saw the point on Twitter made during that Thursday night game that was so awful. Uh, Colts and um, Colts and Broncos. People like NFL sad NFL games are just sad. But sad college games are the best. And this was yeah. the best. There was a point in the, I think it was in the second quarter where the Colorado State quarterback had like a negative 47 passer rating, literally negative 47. I've like never seen that before. One in my for life. nine for two yards or something. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, you had a rushing team in Nevada that couldn't rush the ball. Uh, and you had an air raid team in Colorado State that couldn't, they couldn't air raid. They couldn't get anything in the air. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I, it, 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 again, it left me speechless, and I hated seeing everyone saying, like, do either of these teams want to win this game? Yes. Yes. They, they both hate each other. To win. They hate each other. This is a, a rivalry that is brewing because of what Jay Norvell did and how much Ken Wilson dedicates his life to Nevada. Like, this guy bleeds Nevada. He loved Nevada more than anybody has ever loved Nevada, it seems, maybe aside from all. <laughs> and, and, and it's just like the hatred that these teams have for each other. They both wanted to win so badly, but they were both so bad. Like as, there were there were that meme where you have the the Lamborghini in that bad house. I think it's Lamborghini. I don't remember. Uh, you got that really nice expensive car, uh, and then it's like that beaten down house, whatever, and it's got the hanger thing. Where, yeah, memes. Uh, Adam, please put a picture on the screen if I'm not explaining <laughs> this well. But it, it was like that with Tory Horton of Colorado State and Bentley Sanders of Nevada. Like Horton, their receiver for CSU, and the and Nevada's uh, Bentley Sanders, one of the best corners in the country, he leads the country in INTs. Like 
those two guys were the absolute stars and then the rest were like a bunch of plutos or something like <laughs> uh, i I don't, I don't know it was those two guys every time that they were making the play it was like they were playing a whole nother game and we know that because bentley sanders has proven himself to be south florida treasure has proven himself to be like one of the premier corners in the sport at, at mm. this point like five interceptions he's balling I believe he had he had he had another one in that game. He he's going to be playing on Sundays, and then Tory Horton, who played receiver in Nevada, of course, he's just the best player on that team, and it doesn't even make sense that he's there because he looks like he should be. You know, when you look at Tory Horton and you look at the rest of Colorado State, it's like Tory Horton. It's like, oh, this guy should probably be in the SEC playing at Alabama or something, <laughs> but he's with us. Doesn't make too much sense. Obviously, okay, Tory Horn shouldn't be playing outbound, but it's like, you know, you you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, everyone thought that happens. Yeah, it, it's just every time he tells us about something great happens, and like you said, it was a it was a uh, it was a passing team that did not know how to how to throw the ball without Clay Millen. It was one of the most bizarre games that will ever witness i think because Colorado state scored 17 points but 14 of them were in the first quarter off of defensive touchdowns and they weren't pretty ones either <laughs> and the the last drive was incredible they had gone three and out multiple times oh. in a row and then all of a sudden they get the ball back with one chance at a field goal and they turn into like the chiefs just just marching right down the field they're getting over <laughs> the ball but it's amazing it, like th- this game was, it- it- it's 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 unbelievable how co- how well Colorado State's defense played too. That needs to be noted, but for Nevada to only score fourteen on this game is really worrisome. And yes, Nevada stinks. We already knew that, but you're only scoring fourteen on your home floor, home floor like it's basketball, home home turf against CSU in this rivalry game against coach you so desperately want to beat. That ain't good. No. No, that that's real bad. And then how this game ends with Michael Boyle's award-winning flop. Fantastic. Uh, I I I just <laughs> I can't believe he got that call. As soon as he misses the first field goal by like 25 yards and you see the flag and it's untimed down, you know he's drilling the next one. You know it. That's that's just how how karma, that's how the universe works. Yeah. Yeah. You got to look at it. You got to free look at it. He has not been a good kicker this year either. So it was still like questionable that he was going to make it. I saw Stanford Steve tweet out. I was like, does anybody think that this Colorado State kick is going to make it? Every response. This is before the 48 yard that he misses so tragically was no, 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 not a chance, not a chance, not a chance. No, no, no. This game is destined for overtime. We're going like 26 LTs, blah, blah, blah. We all felt like idiots after he drains the 43 yarder, but we did not know what was going to happen. But my friend so accurately called this with the gif he tweeted, which was just Coach K falling to the ground. <laughs> That's what Michael Boyd <laughs> just slowly, just slowly falling it. over. Yes, it it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the sickos game of the year, and uh, you know who that result is beautiful for though is uh, Nevada team total under uh, ticket holders. So thank you very much, Colorado State. 
and so good for the Mountain West, who could now recognize Colorado State as a true contender in in, <laughs> in this conference. One, one win so, is all it takes to, yes. to become a conference contender. Thank goodness Boise State put in Taylor Green, and they look to be know how to play offense now. Weird how that works. Yeah, we're taking, away, yeah. yeah. Sorry, we're away from those three games. Let's just talk about the week. What was the yeah. most surprising thing from week six? Uh, most surprising thing to me was uh, Texas State, the Bobcats, getting a huge win over Appalachian State uh, in San Marcos. They, you know, they did the whole blackout the stadium thing. That's a program that has been going in the wrong direction for four years. I, I think Jake Spavadol is is not much longer for that job. He is true yeah. to high school recruiting for transfer portaling. I think he took in like single digit high school recruits in the last two years in Texas. Of yep. all the states to not recruit high schoolers, you're not at UMass. You're not up at, you know, uh, Kent State or something like that in the I, – At UCLA. Yeah. yeah. Like, to eschew high school recruiting in Texas is just – it's a good way to to get out on the street, to get canned. And um, it had not been going well. That And the team, Texas State, they don't really do uh, – they have a pretty decent pass defense. The analytics are kind to their pass defense. And they just shut Chase Bryce down. He had a lot of yards, but he was not effective. Not, so Cam Peoples was out, and Nate Noel has been dealing with nagging stuff all week mm-hmm. or all season. Um, yeah, those but, two so they, they had like healthy for a while, yeah. even going back to last year and Cam the year before. Yeah, Peoples didn't even travel. Noel had like five carries. So And then the game script, of course, called for them to, to uh, you know take to the air because they were down 24 nothing before they blinked. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, but Texas State, that is a huge win. Honestly, when you look at things like S&P rankings that, that rank all the teams from 1 to 131 or, or beta rank or those kind of analytics, App State was closer to Texas A&M than Texas State was to App State. And uh, so that that is a, the upset of the week for me by far. Yeah, it was a shocking result for me. Had to be Toledo corner Quinion Mitchell, who had four mm. interceptions and two pick sixes. It, it, it wasn't just that he compiled that stat line he also had four pass breakups it's that he accomplished that early in the third quarter in the two mm. sixes were both in the first half it's unreal on our two-hour mac preview <laughs> i did highlight quinion mitchell as someone that was going to break out for Toledo, be a big part of their defense he, he he's looking like he's going to continue to grow into a star talent that we could potentially see in the NFL one day. I do think Mitchell's that good. He's just a sophomore, folks. He's going to be good. And I just really like that after the game, Daquan Finn, Tullio's quarterback, and Jason Campbell, of course, their head coach, just having fun after. And, and a reporter asks Finn, like, has Quinion never picked you off in practice? And Finn was like, no, not much. And then Candle interrupts. And he's like, no, not once. Quinion's never picked Finn off once in practice. <laughs> it's like, just speaks to how special Finn is. And I don't know, Quinion's going to be really good. So, you know. We'll, Toledo we'll... looks like they figured out because Jason Candle was cruising on that Scott Frost path of one-score games the last couple of years. I think they went 0-4 in one-score games last year maybe. And uh, have the the class of the Mac in terms of the roster, but they figured out the problem to deal with that. Just blow everybody out, win every game by four scores. Yeah, they're, it's they're a, kicking the hell out of that league right now. It's a shame that Finn got hurt, and thank goodness he's okay because he did get carved off in the San Diego State game and like came back and still played remarkable. But 
he doesn't get hurt and they beat San Diego State. And it, it, it's tough to know that they shouldn't beat that team. They're so much better than them. But Toledo's going to be a problem. Look out for them. My preseason Mac champ. But how about the most point, disappointing thing from the weekend? My disappointing thing, I don't, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here. I, I kind of ranted and raved about Oklahoma on the pod last week and about Iowa last week. So I'm just, <laughs> just going to say just the overall, just the lack of close games. There was one or two, but it just kind of felt like a sleepy week. Um, there was a lot of intrigue on paper. I think there were a lot of matchups that I looked at, and especially that 7 o'clock window that had, um, uh, you know, North Carolina State, Florida State. That ended up being interesting. But like Wazoo, USC, uh just like this window was like, oh, there could be a whole lot of intrigue. Everything just kind of fizzled out. Not a super memorable week other than Colorado State, Nevada, of course. Um, of course. But so just the week in general. But hey, you know how college football works. That means next week is going to be tremendous. Yep. Calm before the storm. Uh, these Absolutely. next two weeks are going to be incredible. My most disappointing thing, it, it was App State losing 36 24 mm-hmm. Texas State. It, 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 how? How? Like how? Goodbye too. Yeah, like how is this happening? Yes, you spoke to it. Jake Spavadol, if you didn't know uh, to those listening, he's on the hot seat. Like he's vocally, uh, like everyone knows. Uh, if you know about Texas State, Spav is on the hot seat. And they, in the App State manages to lose this game against against this Texas State program that's just down horrendously bad. It's it's insane. Uh, App State season has just made zero sense so far. You had the bizarre 63-61 loss to UNC, which they were up so much in and were down so much in and then could have won this 120-plus point game. They don't. You win at A&M. You need a Hail Mary to beat Troy with college game day there. You choke your 28-3 lead against your rival, JMU. Shoot that win over the Citadel. Congratulations on being the uh, blue blood of the FCS. But uh, you now have this hard-to-believe result against Texas State, and it's just it doesn't matter that Cam Peoples is out. It doesn't matter that Nate Noel is dealing with injury. This is a program that for years has thrived off of running back by committee success. They've thrived off their grit on the offensive line and toughness. On, on stout defenses with strong playmakers, especially in the trenches at linebacker, even shut down corners with physicality. Where's that App State? That App State cannot be losing to a program as down bad as Texas State. There's no reason for App State to be 3-3. Three and three. They're too good for that. They're too elite of a program, of a group of five program, to be dropping games to Texas State. When this is a program that has aspirations of, you know, moving up in conferences, helping the Sun Belt become a more uh, prolific conference among the, the group of five ranks and everything. And, like, there's App State fans that truly believe, like, yeah, this team, like, gets to the American or, or gets to a literal power five one day. This isn't where this this is uh, a move that sends you in the wrong direction completely. I know App State will rebound, but like imagine if they didn't. Imagine if they never rebounded from losing at Texas State. Uh it, it's speechless. You think this is the canary in the coal mine? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what that means, but I know I know, <laughs> I know that this is just very, very bad. And it's not something that any App State fan would one ever want to witness. But it's even worse when you're 
when your rivals, Coastal Carolina and JMU, haven't dropped right. a game all year. And they're moving Diffie, and, and that's bad. But we'll move on. What player stood out most to you, Dan? Uh, Israel Abanacanda, running back there for Pitt, for the Pitt Shocker. Panthers. Uh, Izzy, he was good. Uh, for some reason, he was really good this week. I don't know what he did. <laughs> 300 plus yards on the ground, six touchdowns. He had an 80 yarder that sealed the game. He was unbelievable. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, Pitt's got a Mount Rushmore, you know, and uh, you got LaShawn McCoy and, and Tony Dorsett, and you're putting your name in there with those guys in the record books. Uh, he was unbelievable. I mean, he really started to break out, become known more to the, you know, the household name in that week one. He had a huge clutch touchdown against West Virginia with the whole nation watching. Um, is he to the is he, is he, he was strong last year, and he has been a stud this year. He's making a run at, at ACC Player of the Year. So, mm-hmm. Manicanda, that's my guy. Yeah, that's our guy, Matt. That was one of his big draft sleepers for 2023. And uh, mm. um, here's the issue. People are awake now. <laughs> People are no longer awake. sleeper. Yeah, when you're breaking records that Tony Dorsett set, uh, that Tony Dorsett set back in the uh, – you know, 1970s, like, yeah, you're 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 kind of special. So good for Izzy. Izzy to the Izzy is one of the best lines. I shout. I think it was Dylan. I think it was Dylan that came up with that for us back in that that West Virginia game. So good for Dylan. Izzy to the Izzy is sick. But <laughs> it's Evan Stork for me. It's the true freshman yeah. receiver at A and M who I alluded to earlier. While we're aware of the potential that Stork had, it's been tough. Trying to produce in this offense that's got a prehistoric scheme, poor quarterback play, blah, 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 blah. He's just had minimal opportunities to really showcase that talent and his potential in this true freshman season. They're playing Alabama, massive game. Everybody's watching. It all changed. Uh, he looked incredible. He showed us a promising glimpse into his future. And, yeah, he, uh, he's probably, he really might just end up being a top-ten pick. Uh, first round guarantee. I know that for sure. He had eight catches for 106. That's 13.3 yards per catch. As a true freshman at Alabama, that's mad impressive. That's the stuff that helps you record uh, record breaking numbers for your breakout age. Uh, that's going to be cool to see his analytical profile. And, and you had that incredible moment in, with a minute left in the game where. Much like that Trayshawn Harrison graph for Oregon State, Stort's making this graph where, where he's make he's mossing mossing the fool, and he's got the other the help coverage coming over that's just sandwiching him. And it's unreal that he hmm. makes that catch. Uh, he's just such a smooth route runner. He yeah. uh, his, his jump ball ability is insane, and he has an elite catch radius. Like he's just got it. Uh, as the kids say, as the Zoomers say, Evan Stort is him. He's he is him. Unreal. He's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna be. I mean, he's gonna be an impact player for the next twenty years. Like, <laughs> he's gonna match. Right, he's supposed to two more years in college, and then a long, long NFL career. Like, he's gonna be making plays in like twenty thirty eight. We. That's like that's like a science fiction year. That's not a real year. Twenty thirty eight. We so desperately need Jimbo to ditch this offense. Figure it out. Bring in someone who's got air raid ties or something and just let us watch Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall and these other young, talented Aggie receivers thrive and carve uh, every every Saturday. Like, Let's go. They could do something crazy these next few years, especially with the defense that they've got. But let's go on and Mike predict. Mike Leach to Texas A&M. 
Mike Leach saying them. You heard it here first. <laughs> Let's go on to who we predict will be in the Big 12 championship game because that race, mm. people might not realize it yet. It's 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 heating up. It's toasty. Oh, it, yeah. It's looking real good. Um, I'm gonna go uh, TCU and Texas Longhorns. Hook them. Um, I think these are the two best teams in the league. TCU, uh, the you know Sunny Dykes offense. This roster was not nearly as bad as it looked last year. With you know they have an early checkout last year mm-hmm. in terms of uh, Patterson and the, the culture there. So um, they've they've really built something on offense quick. Duggan is playing the best ball of his life, and the defense is pretty solid with. Uh, uh, the the coordinator uh, Gillespie that they brought in from Tulsa, I really like that hire. So um, I think that that's his name, right, Gillespie? And um, I just I think that's a really strong, well-rounded team. Uh, and then give me Texas. I mean, we're talking about Texas as a playoff team. If they don't go to Lubbock and and lose a game that they won, they controlled that game. The the post game win expectancy had them as a uh, really really deserved to win that game, uh, but they didn't make a few plays, a couple of special teams things, and um, if that's their only loss, the Alabama close game, that's a playoff team. If they win, if they won out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a shame that they have that razor thin margin, but they, they look great. The defense under Kwiatkowski here in year two is much, much improved over last year. Uh, Sark is still, you know, one of the three to five best play callers in the game. And yours is, yours is him as well. Yeah. We got another him. Uh, he's, he's a top five quarterback in the sport already. I'm, I'm, I'll say it. It will never make sense to me that there was talk of him almost not beating out Hudson Card, the rat poison I, that we ate. <laughs> Do you feel like like Sark was like just trying to give him one last little kick I, in the ass before the season? I I genuinely wish I I like I wish I had an answer. I genuinely don't know. It's just something that every time I think about it, I'm stuck there lost as to how that was a storyline like yeah. maybe like a svp headline or storyline segment that he does but how that was something is unbelievable i too have texas in the big 12 championship game i love tcu too but i don't have them making it i will speak highly of tcu right quick though speed is unbelievable this team with their combination of speed quickness and explosiveness it's not just on offense it's on defense too they're so much fun to watch it's just at the end of the season i I, well i think that they're going to be oklahoma state this week i'll say that now it's the end of the season that scares me because two of their last three games are at texas and at baylor i think texas is too good with where they're at, I don't see, I don't think Texas is going to drop many more games. I'm going to pick Texas to beat TCU there. Then Baylor is not a pushover. Like Baylor, that that could just be a tough game where it's almost like TCU is having their playoff their playoff hopes. If they were to be Oklahoma State and then uh, win the next few games, blah blah, lose Texas, your playoff hopes are probably they're on life support, right? And and you're going at Baylor. That's going to be a really tough game to win. Baylor's a lot better than I think the record shows. I think they've got a mm. lot of disrespect from people. So I've got Oklahoma State and Texas in the Big 12 championship mm. game. Those three teams are amazing. Like the Big 12, Oklahoma ain't putting on. There's some other just spectacular teams, man. For Oklahoma State, I think, yes, they'll lose to TCU. But I think they win out. And I do think okay. that they are going to beat Texas, too. That's the game I think Texas drops. I get that Kansas State and Kansas back-to-back on the road are going to be 
know, difficult, but I'm just very confident in this Pokes team under Gundy. He's a star, doesn't get enough national recognition and respect that he deserves. It doesn't make sense. Who does uh, more with less? It's it's incredible what he's been able to do at Oklahoma State. I, I think Oklahoma State's going to be a very tough out. I think their defense is a lot better than they get credit for, even though they are giving up points. Shout out Barrett and Morton, uh, the freshman mm. quarterback at Tech who balled out against them this week. Incredible performance for him. And then I see Texas winning every game on their set schedule aside from the Oklahoma State game. So that gives us a one-loss Oklahoma State, a one-loss Big 12 Oklahoma State, two-loss Big 12 Texas, two-loss TCU. Tiebreaker, Texas gets it over TCU. That's why I've got Oklahoma State, Texas. I don't care, though. Either of those – give me two of those three teams in the Big 12 championship game, and I'm happy. Uh, I'd be really – cool with seeing one of them make the playoff too i think it would be great for the sport hmm. oklahoma state and texas have played some wild games in recent memory too so that mm-hmm. that would be a fun big 12 championship those, i think baylor sorry you go I, I was gonna say i think baylor tcu will be interesting uh if you remember tcu smoked them by like by multiple scores last year like that game was that was either a letdown game for baylor or something but um Revenge. baylor's a good team but they they're definitely a, a um uh, a matchup differential here in terms of the slow pounded out physical team in Baylor and the fast, fast get to the edge, get to the perimeter uh, with, uh, you know, Miller and those guys for TCU. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And shout out Max Duggan because he's been a different beast this year. This yeah. is not the Duggan that we've been accustomed to. He's been incredible. He's been unbelievable. I keep saying incredible. I'm sorry. Duggan has been <laughs> flat out. Great. I mean, he um, didn't even start week one. Yeah, he didn't. It was going to be Morris's job, and then he got hurt, and he also looked shaky at Colorado. They didn't score a point in the first quarter. This TCU team didn't score a point in the first quarter against Colorado on earth. And then uh, Sam, Sam Jackson, TCU's now backup quarterback, is also an electric factory. When he's yeah. on the field and he gets to showcase his speed, sheesh. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, those games featuring Oklahoma State, TCU, and Texas are all going to be must-watch. Uh, and we finally wait. got – we finally got our Quinton Johnson game that we were waiting for all year. Yes. TCU finally got Quinton the ball, and he was looking amazing. He just looked fantastic. His movement was very good. It was very promising to see in this, gosh, the touchdown catch that he made. And then as I always say, I respect TCU for doing rotating backs. I respect it. As someone that adds Keandre Miller in my Campus to Canton Fantasy League, I would appreciate a lot more touches for him, more volume. Please get more people to realize that he should be one of the top running backs in the 2023 NFL draft. He's he's just tremendous. If you want just some of Keandre Miller, I think might have some of the most impressive just runs in the country. Even after after a catch too, just the tackles that he breaks and then the explosiveness that he puts on. It's like what people think Bijan does on every carry Keandre Miller's doing that near every touch he gets it's it's unbelievable to see what Keandre could do with the ball in his hands I wish he got more respect but let's go to the conference and the division that is watchable but you know it's unwatchable who's who's going to win the Big Ten West uh, do I have to uh, yes you do all right um I, I uh, it's gonna be Minnesota they, I know they already have a loss in the division, but they, um, they're the most complete team. They're still one of the only actual quality teams in that division. 
Uh, I mean, Illinois is nice. Great story. You know, year two with Bird and Should not uh, be Ryan ranked. Walters. They're not a very good team. They've got no. some, yeah. Uh, you know, Ryan Walters is a great young and up and coming defensive coordinator there. Um, but they're not, they're not going to hang in all the rest of the year. Uh, Nebraska's playing their, themselves out of it already. I don't think it's going to be Nebraska. Wisconsin, no. Uh, Minnesota's got, the best on both sides of the ball. I think they were my pick preseason. Uh, they were on a bye, and then they just come all off. So we haven't thought about them in a good light in three weeks, but that's that's still the class of the division. Yeah. Um, Nebraska, I think the thing they have going for them is if teams see the Nebraska curse and think, <laughs> oh, it is, it's a 200 IQ play to lose to Nebraska. That way we don't lose the rest of our games. So we'll lose to Nebraska on purpose. And then that would pull vault Nebraska into <laughs> the Big Ten West, uh, you know, first place, get the bid to go to the conference championship game. But, you know, unbiasedly, I went with UCLA. Well, I, mean, I mean, I went with you. I went with USC to win the big. I went with Minnesota. I went with Minnesota to win the Big Ten West too. Also, uh, my preseason pick to win the Big Ten West. And look, I'm just sick about even thinking who wins. Like this, the the disaster of a division has created me and not even be able to speak proper English. I don't believe in Illinois. I don't believe in Purdue. I don't believe in Nebraska. I don't believe in Wisconsin. I don't believe in Iowa. I don't believe in Northwestern. I believed in Minnesota, and then they opted to not row the boat against Purdue, and instead they swam in the back of a garbage truck. I, like, I don't know. I guess I'll say Minnesota, though, and truly the only reason is because I do like their, their defense. I really do. I'm saying that they're going to win the division because in the division with such putrid offense, they have Kirk Shiraka. I'm picking Minnesota because Shiraka at OC, 100%. We'll go to your biggest takeaway from week six. Okay, my biggest takeaway is that we hear hear me out, but I think we are we are underrating Ohio State. Yeah, they should be and the number one team in the country. They should be number one, and we need to start having the conversation about them as um one of the best offenses of all time. And and if you look at that, the way CJ Stroud plays again, I'm not a scout, you know, I, I don't know ball like that. Um, but Damn those throws. <laughs> the the throws that he makes are absurd. It feels like he could pause time and just walk the ball to his receiver and place it to them perfectly where he needed to be. And it oh. still wouldn't be as beautiful as the throws that he makes. Um what just happened? I think I don't remember if I've said this before, but I figure it out. I might have said this before. I've said okay. since CJ Stroud is like he he just like drops precision airstrikes all over. No, what he does is he accurately predicts where he, he's playing battleship and he knows where the other ship is every single time. <laughs> so he's just dropping bombs on the yeah. ship, and that's the perfect ball placement that he has. And he the the touch out. and the placement is unbelievable. And yes. you know people are going nuts on that um that back that back shoulder throw to to um to Harrison and the Marvin Harrison Jr. and the short the short corner of the, the pylon and that catch a great catch by Harrison, but uh, and uh, like, that's an eight inch window and uh, Stroud puts it there with touch. Um, better rank is one of my favorite analytics systems out there. Shout out uh, Rob Bowron, sharp football, sharp college football. Uh, he's got Ohio state's offense as coming in range of 2019 LSU, the best offense we've ever seen. They've been doing that without Jackson Smith and Jigba, a future top 10 pick top five pick. 
And they've been doing it without uh, Trevion Henderson and Mayan Wells playing together in an impactful manner. You know, they've been kind of seesawing uh, who's been hurt, who's been not. So I think by by November, we're talking about this as an all-time offense. I think Stroud is underrated. He had six touchdowns and 380 yards, 260 yards, and nobody's even talking about him the next day, it feels like. Yeah. Um, Ohio State should be appreciated as a historic offense. Yeah, I think they – with what Georgia has failed to do in recent weeks and with what Alabama has failed to show in the games against Texas schools, Ohio State's your clear number one team right now. Like, I don't know how that's not a, a common thought. Yeah, they had the blunder against Notre Dame, but okay. Like, each team – like, we're going to Would you call that a blunder? Like, no. But we're, they, we're, I, played, I truly wouldn't call it a blunder. Their defense was phenomenal. Yes. I was going to say they showed a, an element that they haven't that they've been missing the last two years. They ha, they were yeah. dragged into a game that they didn't win in 2020 or 2021, and they and they won. Mm-hmm. And and but from a public's thought, sure, Ohio State has had has that blunder against Notre Dame. So you don't penalize Georgia for the blunders against Kent State and Missouri. Oh, don't say it. Or you don't <laughs> punish Alabama for the blunders against yes, no Bryce Younger's A and M, and then the wonders Texas, like those don't get punished. It's just Desmond Howard on College Game Day saying, "Oh, I can't wait for Ohio State to join us this season. I can't wait till they play somebody, buddy. Please go look at who your alma mater has played this season and tell me that their strength of schedule is better than Ohio State's because it ain't close, Chief. It's not close. While Ohio State still hasn't played, you know, a great schedule or anything, at least they've been at least they didn't have a non-conference slate that consisted of Hawaii, UConn, and Colorado State. At least they they've actually like, you know, been playing. Decent. I don't know, man. It's yeah. just tiring. It's like that offense is so special. You you mentioned Mayan Williams is a guy that has not gotten the amount of respect that he deserves because you know Travion was doing his thing last year and Mayan flew under the radar. I like calling him I like calling him pork chop, even though his name's Chop. So pork chop, <laughs> pork chop does his thing all the time and nobody ever realizes it. Like he's a potential NFL back and he's their RB2. He's kind of taken on the role of RB1 with Travion being hurt a good bit. Hopefully Travion's okay. Hopefully mine's okay. Hopefully JSN's okay. Hopefully every Ohio State player that's hurt is okay because they've dealt with all these injuries too, which is another reason that they should be the number one team in the country. They're doing it without key pieces every single week. I think because of all these injuries, their counting stats at the end of the year aren't going to be as impressive as 2019 LSU. But I, I believe the the play that we're going to see from you know week ten, uh, through the mission game, through the cha- I'm you know assuming all these things happen, yes. but through the Big Twelve, Big Ten championship, through the, the the two playoff games, I think we'll realize this is an all timer offense. CJ Stroud is the clear uh, QB one for the draft, in my opinion. I think even I, I got him a notch above Young at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Just he makes fo- college football shouldn't be as easy as CJ Stroud makes it. There was a reason that my pick to win the Heisman going into last season and the bet I made was C.J. Stroud. Oh, me too. Yes, and there was a reason that I was saying that Ohio State's offense last year was going to contend to be one of the greatest of all time and and the best in that season. And it didn't turn out that way until the Rose Bowl, it seemed like. But we saw the glimpses. Like, what they're doing is no surprise to those of us that know ball, actually watch the sport. (laughs) 
they're doing incredible things. They they've been just exceptional. When they're healthy, it's going to be scary. You don't know how happy I was seeing Twitter and seeing some tweets that were like just showing CJ Stroud clips and then all the captains being, This is the guy, this is CJ Stroud and NFL people think Will Levis is QB one. Yeah. Like they're gonna galaxy is, brain themselves out of CJ Stroud. Like, this is the guy that all the draft analysts think is worse than Will Levis. Those tweets made me so happy. But enough about Ohio State. You'll get your flowers soon enough when other people realize that y'all be good at football. My takeaway from week six is something that we knew. The Mac is cutthroat. People need to stop assuming that who was good last year is going to be good this year. That's not how it works in the Mac. That's not how it's really ever worked. So people need to stop doing that. The hate that I got in our two-hour Mac review for saying Northern Illinois was going to regress, what is that? I I was the one who was right. Why why was I getting hate for that? I was just telling the truth. This is a team that was the favorite to win the MAC in 2022. They're 1-5, in Dan. They're 0-2 in conference play. How about Central Michigan? Picked to finish third in the MAC West. They got like four votes to win the MAC championship this year. 1-5, in Dan. They're 0-2 in conference play. And this was a team that just beat Washington State in the Sun Bowl last year. Last season, Northern Illinois and Central Michigan – combined to go 18 and 9 with 12 and 4 in MAC play and the 13th win in the conference championship game. People did not like to, people just don't like to think that regression is real and could happen. Why? Like it doesn't make sense. The, this is a conference that is so even. It's the most when you're looking at conferences, this is the Number one conference when it comes to an even level playing field. Yes, you still have your Acre and your Bowling Green stuff, but every conference has that garbage. Still top to bottom, this is the most even conference there is. Regression is going to happen. Parity is going to happen. It, it's it's a lot yeah. of coin flip games. It's a lot of close one possession games. It's not like, how do I say this without people think I'm immoral? It's similar to the <laughs> NFL in a sense that because of those one possession games, even playing field, like at mm-hmm. each in, in Mac play, when two team when two Mac teams are playing together, it's it's NFL in a way that these two teams are so even it could go either way. It's coin flip game, one possession, it's gonna be close, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, you're gonna get some blowouts here and there, but it it plays the most like an NFL if you ignore the fact that the product isn't always the best. But hey, the players are the best because they go on to play in the NFL. Just say the analogy I was gonna make. I was gonna say it's a, it's kind of like MLB, where the best teams in Major League Baseball still lose like sixty. That's nine, that's 58. fair. The best team in the MAC is gonna go like nine and three. You're not gonna get a twelve zero MAC team, eleven one MAC team. We You're will get it eight, once four, in a blue moon though, and it's always so good when we see like <laughs> Northern Illinois and Jordan Lynch climb the mountain or Western Michigan sure. or, uh, a BCS game. Like that's the, the yes, that's the stuff that helps us. Right. Group of five guys, matching men, feel so great. But <laughs> in between those giant like runs of Cinderella success, this is what happens. Uh, yeah. This is like as I said in the summer, this was Toledo's conference to lose. They're proving it. I think that they've looked stellar. I think it's going to be Kent State still that they meet in the conference title game. And just remember this going into twenty twenty three, pending all the changes and stuff. 
what happens in the 2022 max season, much like Vegas stays in the 2022 max season. <laughs> it doesn't matter for 2023. Nothing from 2021 meant anything for 2022. Nothing for 2021. Nothing from 2020 meant anything for 2021. This is the Mac. Progression exists. Parity exists. There's a reason that so many different teams play in the conference title game year after year after year. Well, I forget which division it was. Had each member of their division played in the MAC championship in like a six-year span or whatever. Like that's what happens in the MAC. It, it's a wild conference with incredible parity and good vibes. And for people to neglect regression existing as wild, Northern Illinois benefited from so many coin flip games oh, last crazy. year. It wasn't going to happen again. I don't know why people couldn't just look at that and realize that it's hard to replicate. So, yeah, I don't know. I rambled a bit about the Mac, but that was my biggest takeaway. It's cutthroat, dude. And just I, I just wish that more people were able to see and maybe listen to us. That They will in three weeks when the games start playing. Four weeks? Yeah, start getting those games November, Tuesday, November 1st is the first day of weekday match in football. It's Christmas. The good stuff. This is <laughs> this is where the takes about Daquan Finn being the most talked about player in recent Mac history come to fruition. This is where Daquan Finn does his thing. But podcast coming to a close, Dan. Unfortunately, we have to talk about the best and the worst thing that we saw this weekend. Best thing that I saw this weekend, uh, James Madison getting ranked. The Dukes year one in FBS ranked, and it's not even Halloween yet. Unbelievable. Uh, I watched almost all of their game against Arkansas State. I've watched a, a couple of the games already. Um, their their skill position players are legitimately really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Thornton. Yeah, Chris Thornton. Uh, Just sad receiving yards in the game. Yeah, they um, – that game was close against Arkansas State until like the second quarter, and then it was like all at once they just unlocked what they needed to do, and then they scored five touchdowns in the second half. Uh, the it was a, definitely a, a Jimmy's and Joe's, <laughs> not an X's and O's kind of game, and th- their front seven is probably the best in all of G five. What uh, they were able to do yeah. in the portal for a for a transition school is crazy. Yeah, so they're. James Madison is a ton of fun to watch. I think I think they're the best group of five team. It's them or Cincinnati. I think they're better than Cincinnati. So um I don't think not, Cincinnati should be ranked, but I uh, guess squeaking by South Florida moves the needle. Yeah. That's that's I thought about them for my biggest disappointment. First half Cincinnati. Um so James Madison, uh that they're a ton of fun to watch. Uh yeah. tune in for their games. Uh the worst thing I saw would be the worst thing I didn't see would be me going to bed and missing the Hail Mary of the year. Uh, so that, that's on me. I'll wear that one. Uh, worst thing is me uh, nesting comfortably on my pillow at night. It wasn't the Hail Mary of the year, though. We could still give that to App State, probably. This was the, like, one of the most improbable endings. It was just uh, it's going to be in the You Got Most Hall of Fame. I know that mm. for sure. But, uh, look, I'll start with my worst thing. Let's start with James Madison got ranked. Let's go. That's great. Why would this go into my worst thing? Because FBS transition rule is one of the worst things that we'll ever witness. And it's something that we have to whine and cry about every time that this circumstance comes up, because if we're talking about it 
in you know the in like April. Nobody cares if we're talking about in May. Nobody cares. We have to talk about when instances come up. Saints Madison's five and zero. They're three and zero in Sun Belt play. They're ineligible to play in the Sun Belt Conference Championship. They can't play in a bowl game. This is a team that could legitimately go undefeated. Maybe they lose one game. I don't know. Still, though, this team that could legit maybe like imagine if they went undefeated and they don't even get to play in the as the group of five rep in a BCS bowl game. A BCS bowl game and have a still on the action talk in the New Year Six bowl game. That's garbage. If you if you're a first year program and, and you're that good, why are you being punished? So to me, the rule makes a lot of sense. It nope. prevents um, it, it's there to disincentivize teams from just moving up and down, moving the leagues, uh, taking these moves that are unfair to their athletes, to their rosters, to just look for a quick buck or the best league. The problem is. Who's being punished in this rule right now the kids. is the kids at James Madison. And this was a program that built to this over the course of two decades and did this the right way. Yep. Whereas at the same time, you have schools that probably aren't ready to move up to FBS in Sam Houston and Kennesaw grabbing that, that CUSA paycheck. And there Sam Houston is probably not ready to be making this move from what I've been reading. Some, some beat writers and um, it's not, it's, going to be weird and, and Kennesaw as well and so they're going to be able to still make this move that this rule is in place to de-incentivize teams from doing but it's going to punish so I, I hope the James Madison athletic department I mean their director's been there for a long time he's a veteran he really did this in a very savvy safe and productive way that's this is one of the biggest fan bases already in the yeah. G5 and they get a little more attention to it and uh, you know, apply for a waiver. Hopefully, there's a spot in a bowl for them. And well, I, like, I don't see the Sun Belt letting them into the title game, even if they win the division. I don't see that. But I think they're going to get a waiver for stack. a bowl. And when you also look at the CAA last year being petty against the, the CAA was day, terrible. Though. Remember that? So these kids yes. are getting screwed twice in a yes. row. So, um, yeah, hopefully they they get to a point where they file a waiver and can make a bowl. But like, okay, so just imagine we live in the world where JMU goes on the field, they file for a waiver, they get a bowl. Okay, are they going to like the New Orleans Bowl instead of like the Cotton Bowl or something? Like, is right. that what they're getting done dirty with? That's still not right. Uh, the lack of, I, there, there would be no lack of motivation from the players since they're trying to prove a point and statement stuff. But it's like, it's just such a letdown that that's the bowl game you've been playing in. It's just... I think I, I do understand with everything you said about it being reason to contemplate whether this is a serious decision that you need to make if you want to go in the FBS. There's got to be a better way to do it that doesn't hurt the kids. There has to be a better way to do this. Yeah. It's not right. Um, if you're this good early on, if if the players are putting in this much work, the coaching staff's doing this well, when you're supposed to be garbage, whenever, when the public perception is James Madison's coming in, Oh, they're going to struggle in their first year. Only win like three or four games, whatever. And you're doing this well. There's no reason to be punished. You should be rewarded. And what would we yeah. see in the 2021-2022 season with Bellarmine in basketball, who's a transition school, who mm -hmm. gets to play in the ASUN tournament, wins the ASUN conference tournament, doesn't get to play in the NCAA tournament because of transition rules, which was also just a terrible thing. It was the uh rep for the A Sun in that NCAA tournament was Jacksonville State, who didn't even lose the conference championship game. 
like <laughs> North Florida or sorry, Jacksonville was the loser of the conference championship game. And they in Bellarmine beat Jacksonville. But then the rules are like, oh, we'll go to the one seed in the conference tournament. They deserve mm. to make that. Well. This stuff is garbage all across the board. What we see in 2014 when Georgia Southern and App State transitioned to the right. FBS. App State went 7-5. They were 6-2 in conference play. Didn't get to play for a bowl game. Georgia Southern went 9-3. and They were 8-0 and in Sunbelt play. They were dubbed the Sunbelt champs because there was no conference championship game at the time. Neither team got to play for a bowl game. If you're that good, you need to benefit from it. The kids deserve to benefit from it. They don't deserve to be punished. Uh, and also just to the people um, that sent DMs to me, and I think there were some YouTube comments about my James Madison takes that they could win six or seven games this year, and you didn't like that I said that, I'm the one that was wrong because this team is going to win nine or ten <laughs> games. Like, I, I sold them short. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I sold them short too. I, I thought they would be more in the like four, four or five win range. They've already beaten that. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I, I saw something in Mustangnay's building, what they were able to do in the portal. I liked, I loved what they were doing. Tots and Tail. I, Unbelievable. I, my thing was with, with JMU was like, yeah, I think they could win six or seven games. I surprised some people, but Tots and Tail's going to have to be really good for them to do that. They're gonna shoot over those projections I sent for them with Sod with Sod Tail with Todd Santeo being electric. He's been you know Colorado State wishes that this was the Todd Santeo yeah. that they had. This is insane what he's doing. But yeah, the best thing for me, JMU gang ranked as one of them. Of course, yes, they they we are patient. I was patient as a voter with them. This is the first time I'm ranking them. AP's doing the same thing. I, I, what about you, Dan? Did you have them ranked before? Uh, no, this is my first week okay. ranking. Uh, yeah, this is my first week okay. ranking. I think the patience from us to wait till five and all was very fair. Uh, three and all cosplay, very fair. Chris Thorne, one of the best receivers in the group of five. But the they actual, have a power five game on their schedule. That's going to be real interesting. They do. It yeah, is Louisville. Louisville. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. The the best thing has to be the Oregon State comeback though with Treshawn Harrison's once in a lifetime catch and run. I love how my best thing was your worst thing and your best thing your was, for my, was my worst <laughs> thing in a way. Kind of weird how we flip flopped them. That's great. But uh, I, I it, this was just again as I led with the, at the beginning. This was a game that was dominated was dominated by elite commentary for three and a half quarters, and then everybody start to watch a football game and it turned out to be an incredible one with a fascinating ending that nobody saw coming. Treshawn Harrison is going to, yeah, and he owns one of the best plays in Oregon state history now. Yes, sir. And we, nobody would have ever seen that coming with how that game was going. That catch doesn't make sense. The elevation that yet he climbed the ladder to make to mo- it's one of the best mosses I've ever seen. I don't know. <laughs> You're saying even if you saw it, you didn't see it coming. I I mean, and I just didn't even see it. So no, I mean, I feel ba- like I feel bad that so many people had to miss that. It was too good. People gotta stop going to sleep. These games are too good. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> we gotta stop going to sleep. We gotta prioritize these games. Like. You know, just brutal it is when the the entire like timeline on Twitter is like popping off till the end of the 
uh, A&M Alabama game and then kind of subsides maybe the end of the Florida State game and then kind of subsides. And then everyone's like, run long, it's over. Okay, bye-bye. It was so sad. There was, like, nobody talking about the Oregon State game. It was, like, the same eight people talked about Oregon State Stanford at the East end. East Coast bias, we got to go to bed. Stop going to bed. 15 in the morning. It was a marvelous ending to a pretty solid day of college football and a good week yeah. six. And that's where we'll leave you. But again, please remember to like and subscribe. That would help us a lot. Follow on Spotify and Apple. Leave a good rating if you want. And comment on YouTube. Comment what your favorite week six memory was. And we'll see you on the next one. A lot more content coming. Bye.